Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 11th installment of Painting the Corners with Anton Schindler, brought to you by 90.5 KCSU. Now, in last week's episode, we talked all about some of the most impressive hitting displays ever to be put on in the history of the MLB, and some of the unbeatable records that have come from it. Actually, we've been covering similar things the past few weeks. So this week, I wanted to focus on the other side of the ball and talk about pitching. I can't pretend for a minute that there aren't any outstanding pitching performances and records, and that's what this episode is going to be about. I want to start off this episode by giving my true appreciation to pitchers. Pitchers are a completely different breed and are frankly absolutely crazy. (laughs) Especially in the majors, when starting pitchers are expected to throw at least 100 pitches with similar amounts of movement pushing high 90s for like two hours, and at the same time making sure that the other team doesn't get on base or score a run. Even with a relief or closing pitcher, these guys have to take on a game in any situation to not let stress get to them and try to finish what their teammates started. I mean, I genuinely have no idea how they do it. But I wanted to talk about a few guys that had very little problem with this mental and rather physical strain that pitching puts on a person, and talk a little about how they overcome it without the blink of an eye. It was a warm afternoon on May 6th, 1998, when Kerry Woods stepped on the mound to face the 20-11 and Houston Astros, who were still, at the time, in the National League, believe it or not. It would be the day that Wood would strike out 20 out of the 27 batters that he faced a feat that has only been replicated four times by three players in the history of the MLB. Wood ended up pitching a full nine innings that day, only allowing one hit and no runs. This feat was not only special, but completely unexpected. I mean, at the time, this was Wood's fifth ever start in the MLB. Going into that game, he had a rather undesirable 5.89 ERA with 15 hits and 12 walks in his first four starts. By the end of May 6th, however, his ERA dropped to a much more manageable 3.95. Now after the game, someone that was interviewing Wood asked if he felt something different, something special when he was warming up in the bullpen that day, to which Wood responded, well no, to tell you the truth, I didn't have a very good warm-up today, and I was just trying to go out and get outs, and it was just one of those days. (laughs) Something that was pretty special about this day is that the Astros pitcher, Shane Reynolds, also pitched a complete 9-inning game, and ended up striking out 10 batters of his own. The combined 30 strikeouts set an MLB record that lasted all the way until the Yankees and Cubs shattered the record with 48 combined strikeouts in an 18-inning game a few years ago. On top of all of that, however, the 1998 Astros were really good. I mean, they finished with a 102-60 and record, getting them first in the National League Central that year. I feel like that alone makes this just that much more impressive. I mean, here's a guy that had only made a handful of starts, ever, in the major leagues throwing 122 pitches, 84 of which were strikes, by the way, and whiffing 20 batters that were about to make the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Now, I mentioned how there were two other players that had 20 strikeout games as well. 
Max Scherzer was the last to do it in 2016 when he fanned 20 Detroit Tigers. Roger Clemens actually did it twice, getting swings and misses on 20 Tigers and 20 Mariners in 1996 and 1986, respectively. But these three players aren't technically the only players to hit 20 strikeouts in a game. These three are just the only three to do it in nine innings. Hall of Famer Randy Johnson, one of the Arizona Diamondback greats, once threw 20 strikeouts against the Reds in 2001. Now, this record is not much talked about because even after Randy threw his 20 strikeouts, he left the game when it was tied at one going into the 10th inning. So, even though Randy technically threw 20 strikeouts in nine innings, the game went into extra innings, so Johnson left with a no decision. And then the game continued on with relief pitcher Byung Hyun Kim at the helm. I mean, that's a bit of a bummer, right? Only one other pitcher in the history of recorded baseball stats has surpassed the 20 strikeout mark, even though it took him 16 innings to do. Tom Chenney, the Georgia native, struck out 21 Baltimore Orioles in 1962 during his time with the Washington Senators and ended up getting the win after only allowing one earned run on a fairly modest 10 hits. So we've been talking a lot about complete games, which means a pitcher usually throws 9 complete innings, never needing to be subbed out, and stays in the entirety of the game. Although it doesn't happen all the time, it happens enough that it's not a super unbelievable stat, usually. But I wanted to touch on some incredible pitching achievements that happen so little that some of the best pitchers in the world only have it happen to them once, maybe twice. Let's start with the no-no. Now, as I mentioned a few episodes ago, a no-no or a no-hitter is pretty self-explanatory when you hear it. Basically, a pitcher doesn't have to get 27 out straight, but none of the hitters can get on base via a hit. So, if someone bunts and beats the throw to first, it counts as a hit, as much as a shot that goes 450 feet to right center. Even though, as I mentioned in the Unwritten Rules episode, bunting for a base hit, especially in a no-no situation, is a huge no-no in the baseball community. But, for a no-no to happen, the pitcher can still walk a batter, or hit a batter, and the no-no will still count. I mean, even if a fielder makes an error that allows a runner to reach first base, since it's not technically the pitcher's fault, it means that the no-no is still intact. Now, you may be wondering if a run scored, if the pitcher walks the bases loaded or gets unlucky with an error or something like that, would the no-hitter still count? And yes, it would, strangely enough. On June 28th, 2008, Los Angeles Dodger pitcher Jared Weaver threw a no-hitter, but still lost the game. Seriously. In the fifth inning of that game, the then-Anaheim Angel Matt Kemp reached on an error and then stole second base. He then got to third base on another throwing error as he stole that base, and then was hit home from a sacrifice fly by the next batter. The game ended 1-0, and although Weaver lost the game, he still technically got a no-no. Actually, believe it or not, Jared Weaver wasn't even the first one to do this, just the most recent. Matt Young lost a game, but still got a no-no in 1992 after he walked seven batters <laughs> and gave up two runs. 
Andy Hawkins gave up a routine pop fly that dropped in as an error in 1990 that led to three-run scoring. Steve Barber and Stu Miller combined to throw 12 walks in a game in 1967 against the Tigers, which still gave them a combined no-hitter, but a loss as well. And finally, in 1964, Ken Johnson on the Colt 45s, who are the present-day Houston Astros, by the way, gave up three errors and a sacrifice fly that scored none other than Pete Rose. Johnson said after the game that, well, he had pitched the best game of his life and still lost, but it was one heck of a way to get into the record books. The other incredible pitching achievement has only happened 23 times in the history of baseball and only 20 times since the start of the modern era in 1900. It's called a perfect game. Now, a no-hitter is impressive enough, but a perfect game is really just a whole new level. To get a perfect game, not only do you have to get no hits, but no walks, no hits batsmen, no errors, no run, like literally everything. Well, I mean, I say no errors, but you can have an error as long as it doesn't end with a runner reaching base. So let's say that a fielder drops a ball in foul territory, or it hits off their glove or whatever. As long as it's not in fair territory, the perfect game is still on. The first person to do it, in the modern era at least, was the impressive Cy Young, the namesake of the Cy Young Award given to the best pitcher in the league every year. Now on May 5th, 1904, Cy Young threw 8 strikeouts in a game that only took 1 hour and 25 minutes to play, and recorded the first ever perfect game in the modern era. It took another 4 years before Addy Josh threw his perfect game, and then another 24 years until the White Sox great Charlie Robertson got his. Now as you can tell, this phenomenon doesn't really happen all that often. I mean, the last player to do it was Felix Hernandez on August 15th, 2012, against the Tampa Bay Rays. Felix threw an absolute gem, only throwing 113 pitches and getting 12 strikeouts. However, something was in the air, I think, in 2012, because Felix wasn't the only one to throw a perfect game that year. As a matter of fact, there were three perfect games that were thrown in 2012. Matt Cain on the Giants and Philip Humber on the White Sox both threw a perfect game. Now, I'm not sure what made these pitchers all get perfect games that year, like pretty close to each other, but wouldn't you say that it's about time for another? And it almost was. Since 2012, there has actually been three games that were perfect all the way up to the last batter. Hugh Darvish gave up a ground ball up the middle with two outs in the ninth inning in 2013 and was taken out right after throwing 111 pitches and 14 strikeouts. Yuzmiero Petit also had one in 2013 too, but a dive from Hunter Pence came up a few inches short on a 3-2 pitch single with two outs in the ninth. And finally, in 2015, Max Scherzer lost his bid with two outs in the ninth after he hit the 27th batter on a 2-2 count. Now I've actually seen a video of this one, and it's especially controversial because the Pirates pinch hitter at the time, Jose Tabata, seemed to lean into the pitch a little bit so that it would hit him, but the umpiring crew decided to not review it and say that he didn't intentionally lean into the pitch. Now it's crazy to think that such an achievement, both a no-hitter 
and a perfect game has really happened as much as it has, because there are just so many variables that could have happened throughout the game. I mean, all of these pitchers literally dodged any sort of lucky hit, unlucky bounces, and really just didn't let their exhaustion get the best of them. And it's really impressive. I mean, could you imagine how many of these no-nos and perfect games could have been broken up by just a really well-placed hit? Or maybe there was a sacrifice bunt, like earlier in the game, that allowed a runner to get to first base. Or maybe it was just an umpire who had a bad call on a ball that should have been a strike, but ended up being a ball. Or I mean, what if a player just had an error? I mean, sure, would still keep the no-no intact, but like, players make errors a lot. Even in the MLB, they make a lot of errors. Now, I don't with any doubt think that there won't be any more perfect games, and no hitters for that matter, but it'll be interesting to see who is the one that's able to write their name in the history books. There's usually a lot of no hitters per year. There's a good amount. There's well, okay, I say a good amount, but maybe one or two no-hitters a year. But I mean, it's been so long since the past perfect game. I think that it could happen again sooner than we know it. I mean, we've seen that sometimes the people who achieve this sort of greatness aren't always incredible pitchers. But hey, I mean, everyone has their day, right? So in next week's episode, all this talk about Kerry Wood inspired me to stay on the topic of the Chicago Cubs. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about the beginning, during, and the end of their World Series drought. Thank you for listening. <laughs>